The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the sixth chapter. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, He is Elijah. Others said, He is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias had a grudge against him. She wanted him put to death. She could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard them him gladly. An opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, he gave a banquet for his nobles and his military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias's daughter came in and she danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, up to one half my kingdom. She went out, she said to her mother, For what should I ask? She said, The head of John the Baptist. She immediately she came immediately in with haste to the king, and she said, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. Immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went. He beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter, gave it to the girl. The girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The Gospel of our Lord. Go and have a seat. And if you're a high school age or younger, I'll ask that you come up here and sit in the front row. All right, so most of the time when we think about God or we... All right, so a lot of times when we see God or we hear about God in the Bible, He's sitting down, just like you're sitting down. Only God is sitting on His throne. And His throne is the highest place of heaven. And He's, he's got power. He's the King. He has the authority. He's the God of all creation. When He speaks, the creation even shakes. He has that much power. That's where we, most of the time we think about or read about God in heaven. He is seated, seated in His chair. And it's the chair that says, I'm the King. I am God. That's what we get. Now, every once in a while, we'll have a lesson where God is standing. And sometimes your posture matters, whether you're sitting or standing. I want you to think about a couple of examples, first of all. So, if you have a favorite sports team, and your sports team has progressed through the whole, the whole series and championship stuff, and they're in the championship game, and your sports team wins, and you're at the stadium, and maybe it's the last pitch and it's a strike, or maybe it's a, a pass or a kickoff or some sort of field goal and they win. Maybe it's just a big swing with a tennis racket and it wins. 
when whoever's going on, do they just kind of sit there kind of quiet? No. What do you do? You stand up and you cheer. Yay! And you say, like, how great my team is. My guys just won. My girls just won. Whatever it is you're cheering. Today at 10 o'clock, right now, we are like 30 minutes. Or No, it's going to start. It's almost, I don't know, it's almost 10 o'clock. At 10 o'clock, the World Cup, the best soccer teams, the whole thing. I assure you that those 30,000 French people and those 30,000 Croatians, when they're watching this game today and their team scores a goal, they're not going to sit. They're, if their team scores a goal, they're going to be screaming with the announcer with their, all their breath, Goal! Until they lose their breath, until they pass out and fall down. Goal! Right? They stand up and they cheer. Right? They want to be heard. They want the world to know that they're celebrating this, right? They stand up and they raise their voice. Another example about standing. Some of the shows on TV I've seen where they're like sit on a beach and they've been shipwrecked or something and they're waiting for a ship to pass by and they don't want to be on the island anymore. They need to be rescued. And when that little ship's going across on the horizon over there, they're not sitting in the shade in their homemade hammock saying, over here. No, they're, they're setting fires, they're standing on the edge, they're waving stuff, and they're screaming. Now, they can't be heard over the hearth, but they just they want to be screaming. They want to, be, they want to get their attention, right? Or if they're in the mountains, they find a clear spot, and they're waving at the helicopters, and they're screaming. They want to be heard, right? Standing. A lot of times when you stand like that, it's because you want to be heard, right? So God, in today's lesson, isn't sitting. God, in today's lesson, is standing. God wants to be heard, it happens in Genesis when he talks to Jacob. It happens later on in Exodus when he's talking to Moses. It happens today when he's talking to a prophet named Amos. And when he stands and he wants to be heard, the very next thing he uses, or he talks about this. It's what they call a plumb line. You take a piece of string, you tie something heavy at the bottom of it, and you hold it up. And no matter where I move my hand, when I'm done moving, it wants to stay the same, whether I put it high or low whether I put it behind my back or in front of my face, either way, when I hold this up and I stay still, it always points. You know where it's pointing? What's underneath you? Dirt, right? Tiles, cement, dirt. But underneath that dirt, if you keep going, it goes to the center, the center of our earth. This plumb line, the gravitational field's pulling on it, wants to pull it to the center of our earth. God wants to be in the center of our life. This line is the straightest thing between my hand and the center. It's also a line of symbolism is about where, what's the straightest way to God? It's his way, his truth, and his life. There's a line. This line is a great example for us. It's a simple thing, a rock on a string. And it will tell you a lot of life's lessons. Now take a look at this rock. What is that? What's on the rock? What does it look like? Fish. A fish. Yes. Right? Is that a fish? Like symbol right there? On the back, your eyes are probably better than mine. What does it say on the back? Sea what? Sea of what? Galilee. Galilee. So about two years ago, I was supposed to go to Israel in February. I didn't, get, I didn't go. I gave my seat to somebody else. But when they came back, they brought me this. It's a stone from the Sea of Galilee with the Jesus symbol on the front, the ichthus, the fish. And I was tied to a string, a plumb line. Remember your Lord. Remember his truth. Remember his ways. It's the straightest thing between him and us, which would be Jesus. There's a lot of teaching in the simple thing, right? Plumb line. Now, I want you to take a look at this table. 
This is an example of a modern invention, or not really modern invention, but like those bubbles on the inside, if I tilt it, the bubble goes to the top because air bubbles always want to rise and the water always wants to sink. But when I make it more level, so we can have a device that tells us what's level this way and a device which tells us vertical. Or we can flip this over and look at this bubble, right? We have devices to do that. On this table, I need some help. So your helper number one, your helper number two, you'll be helper number three. Come over here, guys. I need you to do something. See this table? Look at this plumb line from the front. You, you're, you're the eyes. Is the table vertical, right? Is the, is the leg straight? All right. All right. You got the plates. You got the cups. You're the tallest one here. And you're the supervisor because I need to make sure it's done right. Okay, can you flip one of the t plates right here? We're going to stack these up. Put the plate right here upside down. Put the plate upside down. Just one. Just one plate. Take that stack and pull one plate off. And set it right here upside down. Okay, now that circle on the inside of that is about the same size as that cup. Put the cup on there upside down. If you put it not, it's not centered. Yeah, see that? Quality control guy. Is that centered? Right? It's not. See it's off to the edge over here? Right there. That's centered, right? Every time they do this, you got to make sure you're the quality control. All right? Plate. Let's put another plate right there on top, face down. There's a dot on that plate. See that little dot? See this dot right here? Put that dead center in the cup. Quality control, guys. Is that centered? Right? Is it centered? Yep. Okay. Cup. Dead center. Is it centered? All right. Let's see how far we can go. Up. Is it centered? Perfect. We're striving for perfection here, right? If you want these cups, next one. Don't have to be in a hurry. Be gentle because the higher... Have you played the game Jenga? The little block thing? The higher this thing gets, the more fragile it might become. Okay, quality control guy, you got to make sure everyone's right. I'm going to step back now. If it falls over, it's on you. Pressure's on. Okay, here we go. We got the cup. Notice how she had to get a little bit higher to see better? All right, here we go. Plate gently... Is it centered? Kind of. All right. You make it perfect. All right. Next cup. Oh, it's getting a little wiggly. Plate. Make sure we're careful. Careful. Here we go. Make sure it's centered, quality guy. Quality man. Is that perfect? All right. When you, when you give her the authorization, she'll put the next cup. You ready? Here we go. Oh, my goodness. Here we go. Oh, we got to make you... Well, just to see what happens. What was wrong with that? Did you stack them right? You stacked them right. Why don't you help pick this stuff up? So if you stacked them right, and if the cups are level and the plates are level and all that stuff's the same, what could possibly be wrong with this? All right, from your perspective, don't... All right, so this is what we had right here. All right, when you looked at this from the front, Thomas, you need that cup right there, because you guys get to do this again. Is it, is it level this way? Yes. All right, on that side, Beaver Clan, is it level on this side? No, it's not. You got level one side... You don't have level on all sides. So let's see if this is level now. Yeah. Is this level? Let's, let's take a look. Is, this, is, it, is it level now? I mean, is it straight? Is it plumb? Right? Plumb line? And it's straight this way too, right? From two sides. 
There's a lesson in there. We'll get to it. Let's build it again. Let's see how fast you can do it this time. Plate. Cup. Perfection. Plate. Cup. Perfection. Up. Oh, make it perfect. Yeah, make it, keep it perfect. Plate. Cup. Hey, here you go, guys. You guys get professional now. I won't ever play Jenga against you. Here we go. Hold on. Make sure it's level. There you go. Next. Next. Help her out because she can't see if it's centered. You can get a little bit taller on that one. All right, another cup. Another plate. Help her out, the tall ones. Dead center. Next cup. Oh, wait, now look at that. Keep going. Keep going. Set the cup. You can even put the plate. Help her put the plate. Dead center. Dead center. It didn't fall over. Right? Right? Now, go and have a seat, because here's where you get to the teaching point of this again. I was trying to find a way of shortening this up, but it's really kind of hard. All right. So on the plumb line, if you only see it from one side, you might think it's true, but you have to see it from two sides, right? That's one of the tricks of construction. When you put this in one way, if you're facing, then have someone stand off to the other side and look at the same thing. You have to see it from two different sides, not front and back or side to side, from the front and from the side. It takes two sets of eyes to make sure this is plumber, two tests, two things, not just one, two. If you have two front and exactly to the side, 90 degrees, you can make sure that that post goes straight. Right now it goes straight from the front and from 90 degrees, right? All right, so God gave us 10 commandments. He told us a plumb line. This is the way of heaven. This is the way of good living. This is the way of joy and peace and life and love. God gave us 10 things that would help us do that. Jesus summarized it in two. Just two. Jesus said, love God, love neighbors. Love God with all you got and love your neighbors like you want to be loved, right? Two things. If you want to have a straight line in your life with God, you love God you look from the other side and you look, compare yourself to loving neighbors. The message of Amos's plumb line and God standing so he can make sure we could hear it because it's that important. Your life will fall. You might make it one day crooked and survive. You might make it two days or three days, but eventually the crookedness in your life will make yourself fall. You might go from one generation of family misteaching and, mis- and not showing the truth to the next generation, but eventually your family line will crash. As a country, we might go from one generation to another, to another, to another. But if a con- country does not stay true to loving God with their heart, soul, mind, strength, and loving the neighbors themselves as God has instructed us to, we as a country will fall. It only takes time. That's what that shows us. God gave us this as a lesson for our life. All right? So let's go ahead and say our prayers. Put our hands together, and then I want you to repeat the words after me. Okay? Say, Heavenly Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for showing us the truth. Help us to hear your truth. Help us to see your truth. Help us to live according to your truth. And where we're wrong, correct us. And help us show this to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
All right, there's so much going on with the New Testament lesson. Last week we shared um, the sending of the 12 apostles. That's what we remembered last time. So in week seven of the season of Pentecost, Jesus sends his 12. They've been following him for about a year and a half. They've gone with him from community to community. They've heard about the same message everywhere Jesus went. They've seen similar miracles everywhere Jesus went. They've just watched Jesus with love reach out to people and with power bring healing and life to people. They've done this now for about a year and a half. Last week, we remembered that. But last week, we also remembered that people like Paul were brought into that story. And then a man named Robert Burns, who later became a Catholic priest and then a, a student, such level that he was teaching at a university. And then he was bringing faith to guys like me because he was teaching the epistles of St. Paul. And in that class, I was introduced to Greeks, to Romans, to Jews, to Paul, to Jesus. Because Father Robert Burns was sent, I was received. But more, even more than that, there was a Lutheran church on the corner of my campus in the University of Arizona. And every year they sent out the 70. Remember this last week. I'll try to make it short. But they sent out the 70. They knocked on the door and they gave me a bag of cookies and they said, come on over. That combined with Father Burns, combined with God's Spirit, all of a sudden I'm a college student knocking on the door of a church and going to worship. And they adopted me and they loved on me. They gave me the truth. And then in time God says, well, you've got to repeat the story. So now I'm a pastor. That all happened because of the history of being sent. Those 12 being sent. That's what we remembered last week. The sending of the 12. And they weren't to be creative. They were just to share the old story, the true story of what God wants the world to know. His way, His truth, His life. Heaven. That's what God wanted them to know. So we did that last week. This week, right after we have the sending of the 12... I mean, that was just a sentence before you'll have the sending of the twelve. This very next sentence is Herod, right? And now the story of John the Baptist about his death. Now, you can be thinking of why in the world would St. Mark, the guy who's putting together, why would Mark put in his narrative of Jesus' life the story of the sending of the twelve, go out, guys, do all the stuff, and then right as soon as they're sent, interrupt it with this story of John the Baptist's death. Why would he do that? John had already been killed. John started, John, public ministry ended about, you know, a very short time, maybe a week or so, of the time that Jesus starts his public ministry. John's time ended. He was arrested. So he's not been a part of the story then. And then shortly after that, within a few months, maybe, John was killed. The story that we got today is past tense. It's happened a year plus ago. Why in the world would Mark put that in the lesson right now with the sinning of the 12? The answer is really good news for us. It's because the disciples were successful. They were making a huge difference in this world. Herod heard about it. Herod thinks that now these guys, or Jesus, is the guy that he killed. So John's putting this in that, or Mark's putting this story back in there that we didn't get earlier. It's like out of time, because what's going on is making a difference in their world. Starting off with John. John is a gift. A gift. His parents, they had been married. They were good people, as much as people can be good. They loved their Lord. They loved their community. He served as a priest. She's in the line of Aaron. I mean, they're like, a, they're like out of a lineage of holiness. Um, Elizabeth, Zechariah. And, 
And they lived their whole life and they had the inability to have children. They wanted to have children. In their time, not having children was like a visible thing of a curse. And they were ashamed. She had shame because of it. He was ashamed because he couldn't have, he didn't have the joy of holding a son or a daughter, nor did she. The, all the life lessons you get of being parents, they wanted and they didn't. And so now, Elizabeth, when she's past menopause, she's past the time that she's able to have a child. You know, just imagine a seven-year-old woman being told that she's going to conceive and have a son. A seven-year-old man saying that his wife and him together are going to have a son. Crazy. It was a gift of God. John was that gift. John this Baptist is that guy. John's only reason and purpose in this life is the same reason and purpose as us, except he was just bold and courageous about it. His reason and purpose was to know who his Lord was and let the whole world know that he's coming. That's it. Prepare the way for the Lord. That's what John did. He's coming. Get ready. Repent. Turn your face to your God again. Look upon Him. Look upon His plumb line in your life, if you will. Consider His holy ways and His holy will. Do that first. And then in that position, you're going to want to confess. Because you're going to be realizing that you don't got it and and you need it. And you're going to confess all the things that you're off on. And then having confessed, believe that His love is going to be bigger than your sin. His capacity to forgive with Jesus later on the cross is going to be bigger than your capacity of sin. And you will live. Not from your merits, but from the gift of your Heavenly Father who loves. That's what John did. And he was making a huge difference in this world. It didn't matter who came to him. He told you the truth. If you came to him with some minor things going in your life, as far as like you were living a pretty good, like pretty holy life, you loved your Lord best you could, and you're, you're just off a little bit, he'd call you and he said, great, but you're off on this piece. Let's repent, let's confess, let's wash, and let's get ready for our Lord. If you're off a lot, I mean, if you're chasing the world wholeheartedly, and if you're having evil displayed in how you conduct your physical life, you would have heard that as you approached. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And he would have called you out. It's like, it was like, almost like a knack. He knew what was going on. Your love of your money, your inappropriate sexual behaviors, your laziness, your greed, your gluttony. He would have called you out. And you had an opportunity. Repent, confess, believe, and live or not. Well, John's doing that. And when it came time to Herod, he called Herod out. He called his wife out. It would actually, they don't even call her his wife. Do you know that? They said his brother's wife. No one recognized her as being his wife. Only Herod and she. They just fell in lust with each other. They weren't concerned about staying holy and true and honoring a marriage. She was Philip's wife, Herod's brother. That was his little girl. That wasn't his little girl. That was his brother's little girl. He called him out. He says, what you're doing is wrong. That's your brother's wife. She needs to be with your brother. Herod didn't like it. He, he didn't like it. One thing, she hated him for it. Don't call me out, you little dusty camel herding thing. Don't insult me like that. So she wanted him dead. So Herod arrested him, put him in a prison, thought maybe he can keep him quiet. Can you imagine John quiet? If he's in a prison, he's going to be talking to the guards. He'll be talking to the stones, knowing that God can make descendants from Abraham from those stones. John will not be kept silent. So he keeps at it. And now he's in the house of Herod. What does he put his intention on? The sin of this man. Clean it up. Change it. 
She wants him dead. It's a mess. It's not going to end well for John because Herod is rejecting the way. So that's all going on. Um, in time, they had him killed. Now think about the discussion of this. Herod's birthday. These guys threw big parties. Herod did on, on the people's expense. There were no ladies there. It would have been guys. It would have been the heads of the state, the heads of the military. Anybody that could be prospered or prospered by Herod was there. The rich, the powerful, whatever. The Jews were there. Later on or earlier, we read about the Herodians and the Pharisees wanting to kill Jesus. Well, the Pharisees were there. The leaders of Galilee, the leaders of the Jews, they were all there. Guys there, they're drinking. Oh my gosh, they're drinking. They're eating. And they're talking about whatever they're going to talk about. In the middle of this drunken party, whatever thing's going on, here comes, yeah, say a 15-year-old girl that's going to dance for them. Sent by her mother. How disgusting. I tell you, I would not send anybody, any female I know, into a drunken, misconducting group of men like that to dance for them. Her mother sends her. That's, 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 that's wrong. Worse than, this is not quite as bad, but similar to that. Herod, which is, it would be her uncle, allows this girl to come and dance her dance. How disgusting. I thought you're supposed to, I thought men of God were supposed to protect our ladies and raise them up. Not to let them dance for our lustful pleasures. It was just wrong. At the end of this, the, 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 the attitude and the frenzy of all the guys was such that he makes a vow, I'll give you up to half. It wasn't even his to give, folks. I'll give you half of my kingdom. That wasn't his kingdom. That's not his dirt. That's not his country. That's not even his money. He's just a lowly little ambassador for the, 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 the Caesar in Rome. Just give me some of your taxes and keep things quiet down there and you can stay in power. It wasn't his to give away. So now he's a liar and he's an arrogant, perverted, nasty man. And he says, I'll give you half of what I want. And she goes back to mom and says, I want his head. How horrible is that? Head. And they think that by cutting off his head, they're going to stop his message. Kill the man, kill the message. Not a chance. Because God's word's bigger than the human vessels that give it. You can shut me down, but someone else will rise up. One of you would step up. If I fell down today and I couldn't finish the service, one of you guys would get up there and you'd finish your service. We would continue to praise God, worship God, and we'd leave here as God's people. You can't kill the message by killing the messenger. They thought that would happen. It didn't happen. So here we go. We got John dead. But Jesus is there. And Jesus is revving up. He's going from town to town, village to village, and his fame is spreading. And the people are getting to know who this Jesus is. And God's message through Jesus is more and more. And then when the time is right, after a year and a half, he sends out 12. It just goes exponential. I mean, the curve on the exposure to God is going way up, way fast. Because not just one guy's traveling, we've got six pairs of people that are going from town to town to town. The power, the way, the truth, the life of God will not diminish. It just gets greater and greater. And now, because of these 12 guys' success, because they're doing the same thing that Jesus was doing, they're telling people the truth. God loves you. Try the way of heaven. Let go the ways and the lies of the evil one. Stay close. Worship on Sundays. Put his word into your mind and your eyes and your ears and your heart. Pray to your God. Live holy lives. They're saying the same thing Jesus said. And if you're sick and you're twisted and you're hurting and you're dying, be healed. God wants your life restored. The message is to restore you. 
The physicalness that's wounded is to restore you. The goal is, is that you'll have heaven now and heaven for eternity. They heard that from Jesus and now you've got six bands. It's out of control. Herod is getting nervous. The ones that are in opposition to God and God's way are getting nervous because some of the people are hearing this and they're believing it and they're making it their own too. It's spreading. It's like a flu virus. It's out of control. They're infected with it. So when our, when our Bible study says, and Herod heard it, there you go. That's the link. Herod has heard about all that those 12 people are doing, all that Jesus has been doing, and he's heard, he's remembering that what John was doing has all come together, the same word of God, and it's making a huge difference in this world. And he's thinking, I'm going to have to kill some more people. Later on in Matthew's gospel, I think he says, I'll tell that fox, I'm going to do my work on this day. I'm going to do my work on the next day and the next and the next until I'm done. Herod will not stop Jesus until, and he actually never did stop Jesus. Everything Jesus did, he chose to do, right? So Herod wants to put an end to it, but not yet, not yet. Twelve made a splash. That's where it comes to us as a church. We have heard the message. We've known the truth. It's to burn inside of us. It's to be for us to be spoken with the courage that John spoke, with the love and the gentleness and power that Jesus spoke, with the power of the apostles. Because never before, there's been great prophets, but never before did a prophet give 12 people the capacity to do what that prophet did. Jesus has given them the Holy Spirit. They are now with the Holy Spirit's ability to mirror their Lord. And that's exactly what they were doing. They were mirroring Jesus and what they said and what they did and how they loved. How they, and they, did, they didn't care if they were going to get arrested. They didn't care if they were going to get killed. They didn't care if the people down the street who they're going to talk about Jesus with accepted or rejected. They weren't concerned about the outcome. They were concerned about being true to what God called them to be true to. And that's what they did. And we as a people for God's church should do the same thing. Our concern is not to see whether people will receive us or not, whether they'll talk favorably about us or not. Our concern is not whether we'll be popular or not. Our concern isn't what, if we say the truth and we get fired, fine. Get fired, move on. Stay true to your God. That's first. That's what they do. That's what they did. It was changing the world. Us as a church, the same thing. God first. The kingdom of God first. That's the only thing that's going to last. And we share that with the world. We hold before the world the plumb line that we've been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. He has had brought heaven to earth. He's shown us the most direct and positive and, and constructive way to the Father. He's to be our centering point, the thing by which all things are measured. He is holiness. He is life. He is light. He is everything to us. He's our standard. And we show that standard to the world. And if we need to stand up to be heard, then we stand. God help us be that church. Amen.